I guess the best way that I can explain it to you is when you grow up with nothing, everything you get is a blessing and you enjoy it. And you know what? If you die with nothing, so be it. And, and when I get involved in projects and when I get involved in things like montage, you know, being here for five, six years, I, I appreciate the, the culture. I appreciate the work ethic. I, I appreciate the attachment that people have with the area. And in so many respects, you know, that really bolstered my decision to, to get involved. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Very pleased to be bringing you the podcast's first ever Pennsylvania episode today. First, though, you need to go subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. March is the month to talk season passes, and I'm going deep on multi-pass coverage in the Storm Skiing Journal. Also, follow along on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. Before we get to Pennsylvania, let's talk about my partners, Ellie Hansen and Mountain Gazette. You all know conditions in the Northeast can be unpredictable. And if you ski every week, like my family does, you need to be prepared for anything, especially this year when your car is your base lodge. That's why we are rocking Heli Hansen gear from head to toe to keep us warm and dry no matter what Mother Nature throws at us. Heli Hansen gear is ready for anything because professionals who brave the world's harshest environments have been integral to the development of the brand's gear. It's been a cold winter, but my wife has stayed warm in her imperial puffy jacket. Whether we're out on the hill or just walking around New York City, it's waterproof, windproof, breathable, and fully insulated. With that handy life pocket that keeps her phone from dying when she's out in the cold, and the stretch wrist gaiters add extra warmth and comfort. She is complementing that coat with the Avanti Stretch Pant, which has a sharp modern design and performance technologies. Not only are the pants waterproof, windproof, and breathable, but they're brushed inside for extra warmth. If you want to gear up in your own Imperial Puffy or any of Heli's other great products, or you know someone who needs to refresh their kit, just visit the Heli Hansen in Boston or Burlington, Vermont, and mention this Storm Skiing Podcast ad to get 18.77% off. Why 18.77%? Because that's the year they were founded. That's right, more than 140 years ago. The Storm Skiing Podcast is also brought to you in part by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a biannual, large format print title celebrating mountain culture. Head over to mountaingazette.com and enter code GOHIRE10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions. Use code EASTCOAST all one word, for 10% off everything else, including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. I got the first issue in November, and it is incredible. This is more of a work of art than a magazine. The thing is huge, first of all. The quality of the writing is unreal, with huge, amazing photos, and it's deep, too. I got this thing in November, like I said, and I am still going through and finding new things. Grab your subscription today over at mountaingazette.com and you will get a PDF of that first issue as the crew works on issue 195, which takes a deep dive into the heart and soul of mountain culture at a time when newcomers, locals, and dirtbags are learning how to coexist in this new era. Mountain Gazette, when in doubt, go higher. Episode 40, Charles Jefferson, Managing Owner of Montage Mountain, Pennsylvania. All right, I'm pumped for this. The Storm Skiing Podcast hits Pennsylvania for the first time. What an awesome ski state that is. 
They may not get the snow that states north of them get, but they have some good-sized ski areas, and skiers there are rabid for the sport. So very happy to be delivering this to you, and very happy I reached out to Charles Jefferson as my first interview in Pennsylvania. He has such a unique story and such an interesting perspective on skiing and running a ski area. And with things like affordable season passes and snowmaking deep into March, he's making Pennsylvania skiing better. I think you'll all be very interested to hear what he has to say. Plus, Montage is a terrific ski area with some really interesting terrain, especially when they have a lot of natural snow, which they have so far this year. I also want to point out one thing that's a bit outdated in this interview. We recorded this on February 23rd, so last Tuesday, and we had a long discussion about Montage season passes. I'm releasing the podcast on March 3rd, and in between our conversation and today, the Mountain has released its season passes. Those are currently $349 for renewing pass holders and $399 for everyone else. They are on sale now and include skiing for the rest of this season free. So go get in on that by March 28th. All right, let's talk Montage. My guest today has been the managing owner of Montage Mountain, Pennsylvania since 2013. Montage features 26 trails on a 1,000-foot vertical drop, including White Lightning, the second steepest trail in the Northeast. He is also partner at Jefferson Werner LLC, a full-service real estate development firm based in greater Philadelphia. Charles Jefferson is my guest. Charles, so good to have you on the program. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. So let's start with your business background. Tell us about your career leading up to the purchase of Montage in 2013. Well, well, I, I started my company, Jefferson Werner, in 2006. Uh, I had spent uh, quite a number of years in, in real estate development and in uh, a background in property management and construction. Uh, I went to Temple. I, I got a, ba- a bachelor's and a master's from Temple. And, and then in the, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, I started working in, in property management and real estate. And uh, I, I eventually got to a point where uh, I wanted to be on my own. And in 2006 is, is when I did that. Uh, my, my bulk of my experience is in historic rehabs, uh, large scale projects, taking old buildings that uh, don't have a use and, and finding a use for them. Um, and, and that's 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 really what uh, what I've done probably for 30 years. What I love to do. Um, it's a challenge and, and, and it, it's partly what led me to Scranton. So give us an example of some of the sorts of projects you've done, Charles. I've watched the urban renaissance of Philadelphia from a distance. It's been pretty remarkable to see. Uh, what are some of these old properties that were just falling apart and you moved in and turned them into something that helped to revitalize the local town? Well, in 2006, when I came to Scranton, um, there was a building downtown, 166,000 square feet, uh, the Connell Building. Uh, it was an office building at one point in time. Uh, a lot like uh, buildings on Jewelers Row, a lot of little small chopped up spaces uh, that once upon a time made sense. But uh, in 2006, 2008, they just didn't didn't fit what the needs of the marketplace were. Uh, so the buildings went vacant for a long time. A lot of time uh, you'll hear a term called demolition by neglect. And, and, and it's really when a building just sits, the roof starts to leak and, and it doesn't take too long before it starts to deteriorate. Um, in 2006, when I, when I came to Scranton, uh, the Connell building was such a building, uh, as I said, it was 166,000 square foot, eight stories. Uh, and it was a, it was a vacant office building. It took me about two and a half years to put together 
all the funding necessary to do that between historic tax credits, new market tax credits, some grants, uh, some other subsidies, some equity, some debt, and, and, and in two years, turn that building into an 89-unit residential apartment complex with uh, some office and ground floor retail. Um, and that building from 2010 to today has been 100% occupied every month. And it, and it really was the start of the, the residential uh, uh, renaissance in downtown Scranton. Talk about that renaissance as you've witnessed it. What was downtown Scranton like before you put in this project? And how has it evolved? And what is it like to be in downtown Scranton today? Uh, a lot of vacant storefronts. You know, when you, when you don't have people, uh, you, you don't have uh, the need for restaurants. You don't have the need for retails. You don't have the need for convenience. Um, I, I spent, as I said, many years in Philadelphia, grew up in Philadelphia, worked for a number of developers there. And, and there's always a, uh, it, it's always a, a chicken and egg type of, of conversation as to what comes first, the retail or the residential. Um, I believe when people move into an area, they, they need services. <clears throat> and when those services uh, are in demand, that's when those storefronts get filled. So in the case of downtown Scranton, when, when I got here in 2006, most streets had uh, almost zero uh, occupancy in the residential uh, storefronts. Uh, they were vacant. Uh, a lot of them were not renovated. And when we put that project there and then we followed it two years later by another project and then some other developers picked up and, and they did smaller projects, uh, all of a sudden you started to see demand for retail. Um, we have a restaurant in, in, in Connell Building, Barpazo, which is uh, it's just an, it's just an excellent place. Young guy who, who started it, and, uh, and he's, he's packed on a regular basis. Uh, so, you know, things like that, that's how you build a neighborhood. I mean, you look at places like Philadelphia, you look at Old City, look at Northern Liberties, um, you know, go to New Hope. I mean, it, it doesn't matter where you go. It, it, it all starts at, at, at a center point and it grows out from there. You know, Connell Building, in, in many respects, was that 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 epicenter, and now that street is 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 the most desirable street uh, in the downtown, and and we've expanded that to the next block and the next block and the next block. Um, there's still plenty of additional opportunities out there for us. Uh, we just finished another one, which was an old county building a block away. We did 65 units in there, and and you know we filled the ground floor retail in no time. So, uh, so it really is, it's, it's, it's one property at a time, but, but those properties really led to the, the transformation and encouraged other folks to, to get involved. What drew you to Scranton, Charles? What made you see the potential of this city that in some ways had been left behind? Um, you know, my mother's side of the family has roots in Scranton. So when I was a kid, I, I was here. Uh, so that, you know, there, there's a familiarity. Um, I had some friends who were engineers who, uh, had worked for the city, who had encouraged me to, to come up and take a look, um, and 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 really the 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 lack of, um, in some respects, opportunities in places like Philadelphia, where someone like me starting out is priced out of the market on a larger project, um, Scranton presented an opportunity to not only you know find an affordable opportunity, but to find a community and 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 a city government and everything that that wanted to help, that wanted to be part of the solution, that wanted to see things uh, happen and, and change happen. And, and it just, when I came up here and, and, and found that, that, that culture, I found that opportunity, um, I just wanted to stay and, and it just makes you want to do well. 
So you arrived in 2006 and start rebuilding the urban core. It sounds like you had some pretty good partners at the government county level to help you do that. Uh, in 2013, you uh, bought Montage. So take us through that. How did you come to own this ski area? So um, I'll preface it with I, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. There were no ski mountains in Philadelphia, not even close. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there, there was a place in th- South Jersey, and I forget what it was called, but it was, uh, I think it was a mogul by your standards, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but never skied um, and, and never had the opportunity, really. I mean, I grew up in a, a working class neighborhood, and, and it, just, it just wasn't something that anybody talked about. So in 2013, I had been up here for six, seven years, and I got a call from one of my partners uh, who had uh, been approached by a few folks to let him know that, you know, Montage Mountain had filed for bankruptcy the previous year and that there might be an opportunity to, to purchase the resort at, um, at auction. And um, he called me and uh, asked me what I knew about Montage. And other than driving past on, on 81, Route 81, and, and seeing the resort from the highway, and knowing that there were ski slopes up there, because you can see them from the highway, um, I really didn't know anything about the place. Uh, didn't know about the, the concert venue next door. Didn't know uh, even what they offered. Uh, so uh, between he and I, we decided that, you know what, let's, let's take a look at this. So uh, it was February. I drove up to Montage, met some of the folks up there, uh, walked out on the deck of the lodge and, uh, and around the area, where they proceeded to talk to me about skiing and, and a water park and all sorts of other things that were completely foreign to me. Um, and I, who knows what they said to me, they, they could have been telling me anything and, and I would, I would have believed it, but um, <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was a very surrealistic experience because when you look out from the lodge um, in the wintertime, there is probably between anywhere between 10 and 15 feet of snow that is covering what is in the summertime, the lazy river. Mm. Uh, and, and I have this, this, this guy standing next to me talking to me about the fact that underneath all that snow, there's a water park attraction. And <laughs> then he points over here and he says, underneath that there's this. And, 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 and I, you know, I had to take his word for it. <laughs> Unless I was willing to dig a hole, I, I, I didn't know what to believe. So, uh, so, so we got into it. We spent a little bit of time. And, and, it, and at this point in time, you know, my background in real estate and development kicked in and I'm, I'm able to look at the facilities. I'm able to look at the place. I'm able to, you know, understand um, um, what the potential is. And, and in many respects, it was, you know, it was like taking an old building that, that, that had huge potential, but uh, hadn't been, uh, hadn't been fully, uh, fully appreciated, fully realized. And, so, you know, we, we, we looked at the lodge, we looked at the infrastructure, um, and it wasn't until the end of February, the auction was announced for March, we showed up at the auction. Uh, there were no other bidders, so we bid at the auction, and, and through a, a, a protracted negotiation with the banks, uh, we wound up being the successful bidder, and, and we wound up, you know, closing on the property somewhere around uh, May 10th, I think it was, of 2013. So as you're going through this process, Charles, as you're doing your due diligence, was there a point where you almost got scared off? Because skiing is a tough business. It's capital intensive. 
it's hard for people who have been doing it for a long time and know what they're doing. Was there any point when you said, I don't know, I, I might be in over my head here. This might not be something I want to go through with. And if so, how did you get past that? You know, there wasn't. And, and, and I, I guess the best way that, that I can explain it to you is, you know, when you, when you grow up, um, when you grow up with nothing, everything you get is, 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 a, is a blessing and, and, and you enjoy it. And you know what, if you die with nothing, so be it. And, and when I get involved in projects and when I get involved in things like montage, you know, I, I just, I, I looked at some of the people that were there, you know, being here for five, six years, I, I appreciate the, the culture. I appreciate the work ethic. I, I appreciate, you know, the, uh, the attachment that people have with the area. And, and, in, and in so many respects, you know, that really bolstered my decision to, to get involved. Um, you know, my partners are, are, are pretty awesome folks in that, you know, they look at me and they trust my opinion. They, they, they trust my judgment. They, they, uh, they, they, they look for me for, for guidance. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all thought it was a worthwhile endeavor. And, and, and again, having the experience up here just reinforced that. So I don't, I don't think there was a, a, a point at which that, um, that I got scared off. Although there was a point at which that I, um, that I got a good talking to by the uh, bankruptcy trustee. Um, <laughs> well, you know, when, when we decided to buy it and, and we were the winning bidder, um, you know, I, I, I'd never been involved in one of these auctions before and didn't realize that until the actual closing day, you know, you really, uh, the asset isn't yours. And, uh, you know, I was so enthusiastic that, you know, as soon as we, we, we settled on a price at the auction, I got a bunch of uh, contractors together. We went out, we started demoing bathrooms, we started making improvements. And um, turns out that that's, uh, that's not something you should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good lesson to learn. So, as you, <laughs> so as you move in and, uh, and start to run the business, to what extent did you rely on the experience of the crew that was on hand and had been running Montage for years and to what extent did you reach out to the ski industry, maybe the NSAA or, or some folks who run the local mountains there in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania and, and just say, hey, help me out here. How do you do this? Um, well, the second part of your question is I, I, I didn't actually reach out to those folks at any point. Um, I, I, I really, you know, when, when you're in a business like I am and, and, and you know, you walk into situations um, you learn to, to, to trust your judgment on, on who you can believe, who you can trust and who you can't. And, and, and if you don't do that and you don't learn that, then you're not around long. Um, there were some real good people at that mountain, um, from the head of ski patrol to, you know, who was the manager at the time, who's now my general manager and, and, and some other folks who, um, you know, who genuinely, cared about the place, who were genuinely interested in seeing it succeed, who um, um, had been uh, ignored, uh, uh, disrespected, you know, whatever you want to want to say. Um, but but those folks really uh, presented a, a, a good case. They uh, they stood in front of me and, and, and we talked and, you know, I believed that they had the best interest of montage in mind and 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 I believe that you know they they knew how to make it happen and and at the end of the day you know my, what I brought to the table was really what I bring to the table on the real estate side and when we do apartments or or whatnot it's it's all about 
it's all about the experience. It's all about the value. It's all about how people feel, you know, when they, I mean, when you're, when you're renting an apartment, you know, you're renting four walls and, 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 and they're all pretty much the same, but what makes them different is, is, is the building, the finishes, the experience, your people, how you treat them, you know, the list goes on and on. So many of those things, if not all of those things are the same, you know, uh, uh, um, set of uh, uh, experience that that you need to run a place like montage or or any business so you know to answer your original question i didn't look to the people in the industry i looked to um the people who were there who had firsthand on the ground experience and have those people gotten you on skis yet well they have um that was probably about three years ago and uh, I, I forget which one of my uh, which one of my folks uh, did it to me, um, but uh, they got tired, and and I'll paraphrase, but they they basically got tired of answering the question as to why the guy who owns the place who's here all the time why doesn't he ski, and uh, and <laughs> and, and um, you know it, it, it so so they set set up for me to uh, take lessons with our ski school. And I'll tell you, it was probably one of the best, and it was three, four years ago, but it was probably one of the best things that, that I, as a manager, as a leader, as, as, as the person who, you know, runs the overall uh, uh, vision for the place was the best thing that I could have ever done because, you know, I, I, it's not like I was skiing all my life and then I bring these preconceived notions of what should be teaching and what should be this I, I, I hadn't been skiing. So, you know, all I wanted to be was I wanted to be treated well. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be uh, treated like a customer. And I, I wanted all those things that, that any one of us wants when we go into a new experience. And, and it was just, it was so valuable for me to, um, to sit there uh, and, and be humbled by the fact that I couldn't stand up um, and, and to have somebody who, you know, would, would you know, teach me how to, how to ski. And, um, it was a great experience. It just was, it, it, it's, it's, I learned so much from it. I learned so much about my place. I learned so much about my ski school. I learned so much about everything. And, um, you know, that was three and a half years ago. And while I'm not good, I, I can go down blacks very slowly. I take advantage of the full width of the terrain um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and I enjoy the heck out of it. Have you tackled white lightning yet, Charles? Uh, not in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so once you got which out there, humbling, which is humbling because I, I had a, I had a gentleman up from Philadelphia, really great guy. And he had his six year old and 10 year old. And both of them were able to go down white lightning on snowboards. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's the great equalizer, I guess. <laughs> hey, no shame in that. I mean, that, that is a, that is a wicked trail. It's a great piece of terrain. And we'll talk a little bit more about the terrain in a bit here. W- once they got you out on skis, Charles, did, did it, did it change the way you looked at the resort in that? Did it help you appreciate why people love it? Why people commit so much time and money and energy to this silly looking thing where you put sticks on your feet and ride up in chairs and slide down the mountain? In in many respects, it it did. Um, you know, it is um, um, as somebody. You know, I'm. I, I learned to ski at. I guess I was fifty one or fifty two, whatever. Um, and and it's a little bit of a different experience because you know you you have a, a much a further distance to fall 
both figuratively and literally. Um, but 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 you you do you know there is a um, there is a, a an appreciation uh, for being outside, um, particularly you know uh, when when it's a nice sunny day and even when it's not you know um, when you're out there by yourself when you're when you're going down the mountain or when you're with friends. Um, it's, it's just an incredible experience that, you know, I don't know that there's anything else out there that, that, that equals it. Yeah. Winters can be long in this region. And I feel like if you don't have a way to get outside and and do something, it's very easy to hibernate. Uh, and skiing is just such a tremendous way to interact with other people, with nature, uh, with, with some sort of, you know, local organized activity. So, uh, it's, it's, invaluable to me as a, as a means in the winter to do something other than sit in the house. Um, you know, you're very invested in Scranton and, and I'd imagine you feel very tied into the community at this point. What does it mean to that city to have steady ownership for montage and to know that mountain is a sustainable business? You know, it's funny. I, I, I actually never thought about things in, in that, um, in that regard. Um, you know, I, as with, any property or, or, or any uh, endeavor I get involved with, I, I just want to do the best I, I possibly can. And, and, and I want to make sure that, you know, I, I believe if you do the best, you, you know, the, the, the rewards come down the road. And, and, you know, as testament to that is the occupancy at our residential apartments and everything else. So, you know, for us, it really was about um, just, just, you know, taking what I saw in this community as, as a once, I don't know if the right word is proud asset or, 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 or a rally point or whatever you want to call it. And, and you know, through a, a series of events, it went from being, you know, Montage Mountain to Snow Mountain uh, when some private investors bought it. And they just totally disenfranchised the legacy customer. They disenfranchised, I think, the community. And, and the opportunity for me to be in a position to turn it back into Montage and, and, and make it a source of civic pride in a lot of respects was something that, that, that I really fixated on and, and, and spent a lot of time doing. Um, in, in retrospect, you know, it's funny because this past season has been a crazy for all of us. And uh, we created some interesting things up there and a lot of outdoor space. And um, there were people there this weekend, last weekend, this whole season who, you know, I've known for 10, 15 years. But I've never seen them at that mountain. Never. Some of them are skiers and some of them weren't. And, you know, it's just, but, 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 but just the atmosphere that's been created, um, the, 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 the source of, you know, I use the word civic pride or phrase civic pride again. I mean, I just, I, I see these people and, and, and all, all walks of life, all different people. And I, and I see them coming there and, and they're just, they're just having a blast. So, you know, I mean, to, to answer your question, I, I think it means a lot for people to see that, that, that I'm vested and to see that I'm still there. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not smart enough to sell anything, but, but I don't sell anything. I, I build it and, 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 I, and I hold it. And, you know, I, I think that that's, um, you know, that's one strategy. It's a strategy that I like. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it's a good strategy. And I think it's a strategy in this instance that, that pays off because it, it, it encourages people to believe in you. So that name change is really interesting. That is the first thing you did after you closed on the resort is change the name from Snow Mountain to Montage. And for what you're saying, ski industry is not something you followed. So presumably this is something you learned about in the process of purchasing the resort. We go back to 
those initial meetings you had with your crew that was running the resort and talking about listening to them and respecting them. How did they help you understand, look, this snow mountain, this is garbage. This is not what this is. This is montage. We need to change this back. Take us through that. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question because I don't think there's any one thing that any one of them did except every one of them referred to the place as montage. Mm. There, there, there was no, there, there was not one employee that I met that, that talked about Snow Mountain. They all talked about Montage Mountain, and and you know I'm I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, but I I do try to pay attention and I do try to look around. I do try to look to be observant. And and when you drive down Interstate 81, the highway exit says Montage Mountain Road, and when you get on Montage Mountain Road, I, I don't know. I, I I seem to think you're going to Montage Mountain and not snow. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it's, 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 a, it's, I think it's a lot of gut, but it's also a lot of, you know, sometimes we, we overlook the simple and, and the simple here is, you know, it, you put, I, and, and I still remember doing this. I pulled it up on the map and the Google map says Montage Mountain. I mean, the little pin that was there was Montage Mountain. There, there was, there was almost zero reference to Snow Mountain. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is while, you know, my predecessors, they spent a lot of money. I mean, they, they invested a lot heavily into the things that are not glamorous, but the things that are important. You know, they bought all their snowmaking equipment. They, they put the water park in. They, they did a lot of things that um, um, are, are really key to providing a great product. But, but they missed on two major points. They, they, they missed on customer experience. Because the lodge was terrible, ski rental was in a double wide trailer. I mean, it just was it was terrible. They missed on customer experience and they missed on their marketing. Um, and and at the end of the day, you know, you can you can spend a lot of money on 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 everything else, but if you don't hit on customer experience and and you don't market, you don't brand, you're going to fail. And 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 that's that's what happened to them. And and you know, so to your question, I mean. Everybody knew the place is Montage Mountain. Everybody talked about it as Montage Mountain. It was on the map as Montage Mountain. <laughs> I, I don't think I was that smart to call it Montage Mountain. <laughs> so the previous owners, they it sounds like they invested quite a bit, set you up with some good infrastructure, uh, but they also went deeply into debt. They eventually had to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, so help us understand, Charles, the set of challenges Discaria was facing when you acquired it. Well, so when any business goes bankrupt, there's a stigma that's associated with that. And, and regardless of, of, you know, what you do, uh, that stigma follows you. So, you know, in this case, we changed the name from snow to montage, but there were a lot of people who, you know, vendors, local vendors, your propane guy, your, your trash removal guy, you know, all those folks, you know, they got, they got stiffed for lots of money. Um, you know, and they, they were on, they, they were on the short end of the stick, so to speak. Local banks that had participated in loans, you know, were also there. So, you know, there's a forget about the the operational challenge. There's a business challenge there that is, you know, how do you finance an asset that that has that stigma associated with it in a local market? Um, it's not like you're buying an office building in Philadelphia or New York. You, you know, you're buying a ski resort in in Northeast Pennsylvania, and, and there's not a lot of people lining up to uh, to, to finance that. Um, the local uh, vendors, like the propane person and the and the uh, the trash removal and, and your food service, 
you know, they, they don't want to deal with the new entity because, you know, they've already, uh, they've already lost their money and, and they've got plenty of other opportunities. So, you know, the biggest challenge in, in trying to get, um, get the place up and running and rebranded is, is really, um, it's, it's one of trust, it's one of relationships. Um, and, and fortunate for us, because I'd been in the community for six years, you know, I had relationships with those folks. I mean, the, the gentleman that, that picks up our trash up at Montage Mountain is the same guy I've been dealing with for 15 years. And, and, and the same thing, you know, the propane folks are, are people that, you know, had a relationship with. And, and, and believe me, in the beginning stages, you know, they were, it was, um, it was a challenge. And, and a lot of those folks, you know, were, were, uh, were not paid for a month or two months or a couple months for that matter while we're trying to rebuild the place. But, um, you know, because you're in the community, because you, you have that reputation, because you, 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 you build a business, um, there's people here that believe in you. And, um, you know, had it not been for those people, um, you know, we wouldn't have been able to get over that hump. And, you know, I mean, I've been approached many times by other vendors that, you know, want to take my business and, and they'll never get my business because they don't have that relationship that I have with those people who were there. So you repair the relationships, put Montage back on good standing with the community. Then take us through the last eight years. How have you approached this as a business and gradually improved it and shaped it into your vision of a sustainable long-term entity? In, in short, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and it really is. I mean, we started out with, you know, a couple hundred season passes and we now have, you know, almost 3000, um, to build to that level. Um, you have to pay attention to a couple of things. When we started rebranding as montage was all about, you know, rebuilding that legacy customer base, because, you know, when you think about it, you're, 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 you're a young family, you've got young kids, you're going to Montage Mountain, and all of a sudden, boom, it's not Montage Mountain anymore. It's Snow Mountain, something you don't know. You're kind of lost as a customer because, you know, we, we all want to identify with something. We all want to have that, that loyalty, and now you don't have that. So, you know, over the last eight years, it's been constant every year, year in and year out, building that brand loyalty, building back that customer legacy, that legacy customer rather, and, and getting them to, to, to stay and not only getting them to stay, but, you know, when you think about it, you get some 20 year old back in 2013, who is now eight years later is 28 and, and, and they have kids, you know, you want them bringing their kids to Montage Mountain to learn how to ski. So, you know, from the very start, while, you know, it's not a, a, a fast route, from the very start, our objective was, you know, let's rebuild that legacy customer and not only rebuild the legacy customer, but, but, but bring new customers in that'll become our legacy customers of tomorrow. So everything we've done over the last eight years, whether it be, you know, improving the lodge, improving the restaurant, you know, maintaining a high quality of food. I mean, I, I am, uh, and my staff, you know, we're, we're, we're militant about things like, you know, food and, 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 and atmosphere and, and all those good things. I mean, you know, we don't open bags of, of frozen stuff and throw it in the fryer. I mean, everything we do is different. And, and, and I love that about what we do because what that does is it says to the customer that, you know what, you're important. And, and at least I think that's what it says. And our season pass numbers prove it. And every year, year after year, 
we've grown, you know, plus 10%. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's, that's really the bigger picture for us. So, you know, I mean, in, in short, everything we do from, from, you know, the sense of arrival to how you're greeted, to how you're talked to, the guest services, to the food, to the atmosphere, you know, even what we created with the, with the new, uh, new area here to, to, to deal with COVID and everything else. It's just, it's all about, you know, providing value and, and all about, you know, just taking that legacy customer and making them feel appreciated. I'm really curious about your approach to all that, Charles. When you acquired Montage, did you sit down and make a plan or did you say, okay, I have it now. Let's see how it works. And then each year say, okay, here's what works. Here's what doesn't. Here's how we're going to fix it. Or is it a mix of both? How do you approach a big project like this? Um, well, you always have to have a plan and, 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 and you always have to, um, I have some military friends that, that I, I forget the exact phraseology, but no plan ever, uh, uh, ever uh, uh, what uh, emerges past the first encounter with the enemy. Um, and, and, and it is very true. You know, it's, 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 it's not it's not how you work your plan. It's 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 how you adapt it. Um, you know, initially, when we got involved in montage, the um, revenue was 80 percent winter and 20% summer. Um, that is a model that is unsustainable. If you have a bad winter, your revenues decrease by 50%, you're down around 40, now you're at 60%, now you're not paying your debts. Now you're not servicing your loans, now you have a problem. And, and, and that just leads to bad decision-making. Um, our plan was from the start, from a business standpoint, that, that we need to take that 80% winter while growing the business that needs to be at 20 at, at 40% or mm-hmm. less. Wow. Well, what was the summer at, at 30 at 20% needs to be 30. And then what is a non-existent spring and fall needs to be 15 each. If you can, you know, and again, not knowing the ski industry or the resort industry or anything like that, but just knowing business, we felt that, if you can diversify your uh, revenue stream in that manner, then if you have a really bad winter, one year we didn't open till January 9th. Wow. Um, if you have a, a bad winter, you know, your 40 goes to 20 and you're not trying to figure out how to pay your debts. You're trying to figure out what to do in the spring, summer and fall and add events and add, you know, offerings to be able to make up for that. But 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 you're not trying to figure out how you you pay your bills and and that really you know that really was our plan from the start, which is to diversify that revenue stream across the seasons, such that we could we could have a sustainable model. And then once that happens, then to grow each one of those segments, and and then ultimately you know the culmination of all our efforts is to build a hotel at the at the resort and 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 you know do a lot more. And where are you at with that percentage split? in the seasons that 40 winter 15 spring 30 summer 15 fall where are you at so right now um so last year we were i believe it was 56 percent winter which uh which was which which was a testament to fact now you know obviously last summer aside because we didn't have our music festivals that we usually have we didn't have our our, 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 uh, uh, we have uh, some adult night activities where we do a 21 and over swim party and, and, and we have beer fest, wine fest, all these other things. Those things were all canceled. So, you know, if I look at the, the 2019 calendar year, 
we were about 56% winter time. We were roughly about uh, 30, I think 33, 34% summer. And then the balance of it was split between fall and, and, and spring. Um, and, and that, you know, but, but that pie rose, you know, the, the, the revenue rose accordingly. So it's not like we reduced our winter revenue. We grew our winter revenue. I mean, we're, we're, um, we, we've, we've done well in terms of growing the revenue year over year over year. Talk a little more about that hotel you just mentioned. What's your timeline on that? And, and what is, what do you envision for that property? Um, if, if you can write a check, I'll start today. Um, <laughs> You're out of luck here, Charles. <laughs> you, you know, Montage is a uh, is is an interesting um, it, it's it's an interesting place because the the the, uh, uh, the lodge, the parking lot, and everything is mid mountain. So you're not coming in at the bottom, and you're not coming at the top. You're 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 coming right in at the midpoint. And and in coming in at the midpoint, you know, season pass holders can get out of their car and they can ski right down North Face. They don't ever have to get on a lift or anything like that. Yep. Other people can go down to the lodge and take the lifts up. And, and so, so it provides that diversity. But from a hotel standpoint, what it does is it provides a location where we can build one of the most unique uh, uh, offerings that, that I think I've ever seen, which is you can come out of that hotel and right out of the door of the hotel, you can ski down double blacks or you can go the opposite direction and ski over to blues, get right on a lift and ski up to greens. It's, it's, it, 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 it's, so it's such, it's exciting for me to see something like that because I don't know that that exists anywhere uh, in Pennsylvania. The other thing is because the location that we have is, 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 um, is kind of a little bit on a on a plateau that was built where the maintenance sheds are right now. Um, that hotel has 360 views, so you know some of the rooms aren't looking at a parking lot. They're all either looking down into the, the to what we call the hole or where the reservoir is, or they're looking up to the mountain. They're looking over, but but every hotel room has a view, and 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 you know we're able to do that because. The way the hotel's designed is is it has a connector bridge that spans over the trail from from uh, Phoebe Snow Lift down to uh, down to the the rest of the mountain, and and you know you enter um, in in the front of the hotel on one side of that trail, and then you go up to the to to the escalator, and you go up and you're across and you're into the actual main part of the hotel. So you know we we the hotel's kind of dropped you know if you will in the center of the resort. And, um, and, and it's just, it's, 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 to me, it's just an exciting, uh, design. It's an exciting opportunity. And, and the fact that it's, it's like nothing else. Um, I just want to start building it today. Yeah. It's a very unique mountain where you drive into the middle, like you said, and park there. Uh, there, there's really nothing else like it in the Northeast, maybe Bel Air up in New York, they have a mid mountain parking lot, but they also have a base area at the bottom. Uh, so let's talk about the mountain a little bit, starting with your chairlift fleet most of which dates to the ski area's opening, which was actually fairly recent. And it was opened in 1984, which for a ski resort is very new. Uh, Phoebe Snow is the newest lift that dates to 1987. Those aren't terribly old lifts, uh, and they do have plenty of life left in them. But what is your wish list for upgrades, Charles? Well, so our, our, our wish list 
we, we've been upgrading the controllers and the mechanisms for uh, the last couple of years on the lifts. The last one left is long haul, which is our top to bottom. And, and this spring, that's going to get an upgrade where we're going to replace all the controllers. We go over the motor. I mean, we're going to spend six figures to upgrade that lift and, and, and get it to the point where, you know, it's in tip top shape. The rest of the lifts, we've been doing that as we go. So I'm pretty confident that, you know, that fleet is, is, is in really good shape. It's a little bit of a long ride from top to bottom. Have you considered a carpet loading mechanism there on long haul to, so you could run the lifts a little faster? You know, um, it, it's, 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 it's interesting the way that the lifts work and the way the mid-mount works. And when you, when you look at everything and you look at the whole aspect of queuing, and wait times and, and, and all those uh, uh, data points. Um, I know that from talking to our ski patrollers and talking to other folks, the way that we spread a crowd out um, is, uh, is, is, is very different than if I had a base camp where everyone gets on the lift. And, and again, not being a, 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 a uh, a, a long time uh, ski industry individual and, and not uh, knowing all the things that, that maybe are good or maybe are bad. The way I look at it is um, that lift and the speed of that lift is almost like a, a, like a holding area. It's a metering device to get people to the top. When you speed that up and you put a bunch of people up the top that much faster, that's when you start having people run into one another. That's when you start having accidents um, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, we do a very good job of managing that flow. Um, and, and at the end of the day, uh, between, you know, the ability of a season pass holder to go right onto the terrain versus, you know, a new person to be able to go up to the top and not be confronted with, you know, a lot of people that, uh, that, 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 that congestion, um, I, I don't see a reason to change what we do. I really don't. I, I, I think it as a whole works quite well. Yeah, it's an interesting problem. And I was discussing this recently with uh, Bill Bennion, who's currently general manager up in Vermont at the Hermitage Club, but he ran Mountain Creek for many years. And Mountain Creek used to have over a dozen slow old lifts, right? And then IntraWest, big ski conglomerate, came in and bought them in 1998, wiped out all those old lifts and put in some high speed lifts. And Bill said the problem was you always had a lot of people skiing at Mountain Creek because it's only an hour outside of New York City, but they were always in the air, right? Like they were on the lift. All of a sudden you put in these super high speed lifts, super high tech lifts, and everyone's on the slope and it creates this kind of congestion. So I think your instincts are right there. It's, it's, and, and I noticed the skiing at your neighbor, Elk Mountain, uh, on a pretty busy day, uh, they're were a lot of people on the lift and the trails were empty. And I really enjoyed that experience. And it was worth spending a few extra minutes on the lift to have a better experience on the way down. Yep. No, I, I agree with you. Customer experience is, is key and, and you're going to wait somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the reality is you go skiing, you're waiting somewhere. You're either waiting at the bottom of the line, you're waiting in the lift chair or you're waiting at the top, but you're waiting somewhere. And, and I think from a queuing theory standpoint, you know, the, the, the most efficient way to run a, a line, if you will, is to not bunch up at the front or back, but, but have a steady flow. And, and, and as oddly, you know, as odd as it sounds, I think having those lifts that provide that steady flow, I, I think is better than, than speeding them up. 
Yeah, I, I prefer a slow lift with a short line to a fast lift with a long line. That's just me. Uh, that's a tougher sell to skiers as a whole, who I think have been trained, especially in our sort of mega pass environment we're in, to expect those high speed lifts. But uh, but that's that's a really interesting approach, and I'm uh, glad to hear it. So, are are you assessing the lift system as a whole, Charles? Are you happy with where they are, how they're configured, how they flow around the mountain? Well. I'm never happy with anything. So, um, <laughs> I mean, my, 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 my guys up at Montage Mountain will tell you that, but, uh, I, I am, I, I wish there was another top to bottom. I wish there was a couple other things, but, but, but on the whole, um, I, I think where we are is a pretty good spot. You know, one of the things that, that, that stands out in my mind is the fact that, you know, we have this, this short little lift on the bunny hill that, that, oh gosh, if it goes, 200 feet, I'd be surprised. I mean, it's just, you know, top to bottom. And, and I've heard from, you know, plenty of people that, that talk about putting in a magic carpet. They, they talk about, you know, why do you need something like that for the bunny hill and and all those other things. And, and I, I look at it again, not from being inside the ski industry from, but from the customer standpoint. And one of the, the, the most frightening things to me when I learned how to ski three years ago was how do I get on and off this lift? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how do I do that? You know, and, right. and am I going to fall? I'm going to hurt myself. And this and that. And, and I, I believe having that type of a small lift there for, for beginners, for young kids and even for older kids, you know, I, I think that that is a great uh, introduction for them to learn how to get on and get off because let's face it, if they put a magic carpet there you're, what are you learning? You're not learning anything because you're not going anywhere else to go up a thousand foot, 2000 foot, whatever on a magic carpet. You're going on a lift and, 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 you know, getting on and off that lift is really, it's part of the experience. And, and I love the fact that we have that there because it, it, it gives somebody like me who just learned how to ski, it gives me a confidence that, okay, I can do it here. So now I can do it anywhere. Yeah. Now so, you go over the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the trail network here, Charles. Montage has a lot of forest surrounding it. I brought it up on Google Maps, and it's just sitting in the middle of a sea of green. And when I peek over the edge of the resort on the on the border trails, the expansion possibilities look really compelling. The terrain looks really great. Uh, how much of that surrounding land do you actually own? So um, we have 400 acres. Um, our skiable terrain is, uh, you know, about 140. Um the surrounding acres are uh, owned by the uh, DCNR. It's the uh, Pennsylvania state. Uh, there is a total of about 8,000 acres that surrounds us. Uh, it's uh, part of the Pinchot State Forest System. Um, and it's, um, you're right, there, there's some opportunities there. Um, I think as you're looking at the mountain from the lodge to the right, there's definitely some opportunities because there's another little peak there. Um, and, 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 and there's, if not for accessing that, but just for adding some additional trails, um, there is some, there, there is some opportunities. Is this something you've considered? Have you talked to the state about the possibility of leasing some of that land and expanding your trail network? Uh, so we have not talked to the state, uh, yet, but it is something that, that, that we have, uh, we've talked about internally and that we've considered, um, particularly, in, in the bigger picture of the resort, again, going back to the uniqueness that is Montage, um, we have 
the only resort in Pennsylvania that is surrounded by that kind of an asset. I mean, the 8,000 acres, I mean, I have a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of folks on my staff that are avid campers and hikers and, and they send me pictures back of, of, you know, where they camp out and, and, and there's reservoirs out there and there's, it's just, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. The views are incredible. The, the, the terrain is incredible. And, you know, what's exciting for me is, um, while, you know, we have talked internally about, you know, possibly expanding some trails and trying to figure out how we get a, a blue to go top to bottom and things like that. Um, the, the bigger possibility of, of having a, a hotel and a resort that has 8,000 acres that, that, that is out there to explore, um, you know, whether you're going to do cross country or you're going to do snowshoeing or you're going to do whatever, or whether you're going to go out in the summertime. Um, I, I just, I, I'm, I, I can't stop thinking about what the possibilities are. It's just, it, it just puts us in a different class. Yeah, it really would. And, and I'll say that 26 trails is what I mentioned in the intro montage has. Yeah. It skis much bigger than that. I don't know how many other ski areas you've had the opportunity to visit. But it, when I read that 26 number, that surprised me. Because when I'm skiing there, I feel like I'm at a bigger mountain where I can really wander around. The, the uh, opportunity is so compelling here. Because, it again, this is just looking generically to Google Maps. The, the, the opportunity just looks so expansive and like you could go out to the sides, you go off the back, you could go down further if you wanted. To, to what yep. extent have the folks who have gone out hiking in the woods kind of s- mapped out for you what this could look like if, if you got a green light and if you were able to work something out from the state? So um, nothing formally, but, but informally we started a, a- I think it was about four years ago, something we call Black Diamond Running Series. And we do a, uh, we do a trail run, uh, a 5K, an 8K, and a 10K in the summertime. And, and our staff has, has been over every inch of that because, you know, we've tried to make that, that trail run um, pretty challenging and pretty interesting. Um, so they have been um, on, on, on pretty much every square inch of what's out there. Um, when you go down into the hole where the reservoir is and, and, and the double blacks, um, you know, while from the air it, it, it looks uh, like you could do something with it, the further you get to the right, um, it really is like a sheer face there. Um, there there's not, and, and the same thing to the left. Um, I have a number of, uh, a number of friends um, and, and, and one who uh, uh, is an avid climber and he has a yoga studio and uh, he's he's constantly sending me pictures in the summertime of him rappelling uh, uh, down the side there, uh, off off the left side near the reservoir. So um, I I don't I don't know that that's a possibility to put a trail there, but but it certainly is some pretty cool rock climbing. <laughs> so looking at your trail map, it doesn't list any glade trails, uh, but after the recent snowfall, I got in there a little bit. There was some really fun terrain in there. Uh, would you ever consider formally naming and managing some glades and thinning out the trees, or do you just not get enough natural snow to justify that kind of investment? We're, we're Northeast Pennsylvania, like, like everybody else in the Poconos. And, and, you know, we've been blessed this year with a, with a lot of natural snow, uh, which, which reveals a lot of those opportunities. Um, it doesn't come often. Uh, last time I think we were in this position might've been five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I know they're out there. Um, you know, we, 
uh, uh, we, we, we try to, uh, you know, two years ago or three years, three years ago, we had a uh, tornado that, that, that swept through the place. So there's a lot of debris. Um, we've spent uh, a fair amount of time and we'll continue, you know, cleaning that up. Uh, but, uh, but for right now, I mean, you know, I think that each skier knows his or her own ability and, um, you know, you need to, uh, you need to exercise good judgment and, 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 you know, if you're skilled and, and you exercise good judgment, I think you're going to have a, a killer time out there. And if you're not, I, I, I'd suggest you stay on the blues and the greens and the other manageable areas like I am. <laughs> I do appreciate as a skier, I appreciate that approach to resort management because sometimes I find that skiers in the Northeast kind of overmanage and block off some things that really are skiable, but they're just worried about, uh, the wrong people going down them, I guess. Um, let's talk a little bit about the North Face, uh, th- those three black diamonds, double black diamonds you have off Phoebe Snow. Um, sometimes you let those bump up and sometimes they're groomed. Can you talk a little bit about your how your team manages those trails and how they determine when to leave them wild and when to groom them? So, you know, as I mentioned at the onset, we have some folks that have been with us as long as 15 years. Um, you know, there's always a, uh, there's always a fine line you know, you, 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 you want to have something for everyone. You, you want to be able to um, um, also, in some respects, cater to, you know, your loyal group who, who can ski the bumps and the moguls and whatnot. But, but you also want to make sure that you have something there that uh, is manageable. Um, you know, what we try to do is, you know, on those high traffic days, like, you know, the holiday weekends and things like that, we'll have a tendency to smooth some of that stuff out. Uh, because we know that you know we're going to have a, a crowd there that um, you know uh, is not our, our our season pass holders. They're not familiar with the terrain. So on those days, you know my folks, I, I trust them. They they know what to do, and 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 they smooth those things out. Um, on on normal times, we we let the bumps and the moguls. We let you know we let them accumulate, and and we work around them. And um, you know. But it's 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 a fine line. You you have to you have to trust the uh, the groomers to know what they're doing. But you know you also have to listen to the feedback of your guests, and, and you also have to you know understand that you know you're going to have different people on holidays than you're going to have on regular days. Yeah, those those runs are no joke. So uh, it's it's interesting to look at the montage trail map, and until you ski it, it's hard to appreciate. It really is one of the best mountains in the Northeast as far as natural terrain separation so your greens are all bunched over there by the shuttle lift you have blues on your upper mountain around iron horse in the top of long haul and then below long haul and phoebe snow is just all blacks and double blacks talk a little bit about those natural advantages to the way your ski area is set up and how nice the mountain really skis so um we touched on it a little earlier um you know if you're a season pass holder you're 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 parking your car you're putting your skis your boots on, you're taking your skis, you're walking over to North Face, and, and, and you have your choice of going to singles or doubles without ever hitting a lift. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm up to the cannonball challenge, lower fast track, lower runaway. Um, I, I'm not quite up to the double black at this point in time, so, um, you know, I, I, have to, uh, I have to defer to some of my, uh, my, my ski patrollers and, and, and the six-year-old I mentioned to you earlier. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, what it does is, 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 it, is it really that separation from a customer experience standpoint is awesome because, you know, the frustration, as we talked about, of standing in line, particularly if you're a season pass holder, is pretty high. 
And, and if you can get out of your car, you can put your gear on and you can start skiing. That's great. I mean, it's just, it, it is. And, and, you know, the way the, the lodge is, is, is all the way to the right of the trail. So, you know, right in front of the lodge, you have a couple of choices. You can get right on the lift there, go right up to greens, or you can go right to the left and you're going to ski down and you're going to go right to blues. And, 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 and so, so from a separation standpoint, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think I ever, I, I know I never did from the start understand or appreciate that. But as I get out there and I, and I see people on the trails, you know, I know that with people who know how to ski, there's a frustration with people who don't. And, and when you have this, this separation where, you know, they're not mixed, I think it leads to a better customer satisfaction because, you know, you're not going to have somebody who is a beginner skiing all the way over to upper fast track or upper runaway. They're just not going to go over there. They're going to stay on their comfort zone and, and they're going to stay in front of the lodge. And, that, and that's awesome. And, and they're going to learn on Easy Street and they're going to learn right there. And, and, and they're going to leave the, the tougher terrain for the folks who know how to handle it and, and can appreciate it. Yeah, that experience is just terrific of getting out of your car and skiing down. Another important component of the customer experience is obviously having snow. And in, in Northeast Pennsylvania, you have to have really good snowmaking. And as you said, your predecessors invested quite a bit into that. Uh, talk just a little bit about how you have approached your snowmaking system, any upgrades you might have made, any upgrades you want to make in coming years. Well, I mean, look, you know, you talk to anybody in this business, they always want to make upgrades. Um, you know, there's always that blank spot somewhere. There's always something better you can do. There's always another piece of equipment coming out that, that, that you want to buy. You know, I mean, for, for, for us, like things like Easy Street where we, you know, we fill Easy Street with snow. We cover it with largely portables. I mean, I'd love to see Easy Street have some fixed guns on it. And, and that would allow us to take portables and put them other places. Um, you know, so there are some upgrades that we're talking about that I think will uh, allow us to get open much sooner, allow us to, you know, have a better customer experience and more consistent customer experience. And, and those were, were, were we look at on a regular basis. I mean, by and large, we have 100 percent coverage and, and that's a combination of fixed and mobiles. And, and I, you know, again, I mean, I, I think our folks do a hell of a job, you know, dragging them around and, and figuring out where to place them and where to stockpile some snow and, and you know, how to make it through to the end. Um, you know, one thing that, that, that we instituted back in 2013 and we continue today is, is I, I feel very strongly about providing, you know, uh, value and, and a great customer experience. And, and, you know, I know that in the past, there was a hesitancy when March 1st would roll around to, to, to make snow. And, and we don't do that. You know, we'll make snow clear up to the third week in March because we feel strongly that, you know what, if you bought a season pass, if you're coming out, you know, I, I, I want you to have the experience that you expected. And, and I think that that uh, has also contributed to, in, in large part, to our surge in season pass sales. And, um, you know, I think it continues today. I mean, I look forward to a month of March. I see, we're, you know, we're going through a little bit of a warming trend here, but the, 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 the temps at night, you know, are, are conducive to us making snow. We're going to make snow. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we're going to have, you know, great conditions clear through till the end of March. And, and that's the way it should be, you know. Yeah, in preparation for talking to you, Charles, I crowdsourced some questions from your season pass holders and more than one remarked 
that they were really impressed with that commitment to making snow late into the season. And they really appreciated that because they, you know, you buy a season pass. And even though Montage does offer a really good deal on season passes, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, you do expect to be able to ski until winter's over. And and you're really enabling that. So uh, yep. I, I, it's a very popular policy. Um, as you're, Where do you get your water from? Do you have any limits on that? Uh, number five reservoir right down at the base of the mountain. Um, and we do have limits on it. Uh, SRBC, uh, Susquehanna River Basin Commission, excuse me, um, governs the uh, use of, of, of that reservoir. Um, and, and we have yet to, in my eight years there, even come close to uh, the draw that, that would you know, put us in a, a situation where we'd have an issue. Um, again, I mean, because, of, you know, it, it, I don't know who deliberately thought of this, or if it was just pure happenstance, but because of the way the mountain is, it's, it's almost like this, it's like this giant bowl. And, and with the reservoir at the base of the mountain, anything that's blown on that mountain, and I shouldn't say anything, probably 85, 90% of it, as it melts, it follows these little, little grooves, little cracks, little water bars and everything. And it winds up back at the reservoir. It's so it's, it's like this perfect ecosystem because it, it really does, you know, it really does come right back down to the reservoir. So you've got the snowmaking firepower, you've got the water source, you have the willingness to use it, which is all terrific. And that ensures you can open and operate. But this year you've had quite a bit of help from mother nature, uh, best snowfall, as you mentioned, that we've seen in at least four years. Um, talk about how much that helps your operation, not just in driving skiers to show up, but in really opening the place up and, and having a deep snowpack everywhere. So um, what, what's the basketball terminology, the sixth man? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Mother Nature has been the sixth man at Montage Mountain this season. <laughs> I like that. That's beautiful. <laughs> or the sixth woman, depending on how you right. want to look at it. Right. But, but, but definitely, I mean, look, it's, it's, there, there's, the snow is, is, as, is as important for skiing as it is for marketing. And, and um, you know, when it snows an inch in Philadelphia, I can't buy that much publicity because when, when, when people see that stuff falling from the sky, it's an advertisement that says, Hey, it's time to ski. And, and, and it doesn't matter what's happening in Northeast Pennsylvania. They see the snow and they want to ski. Um, so, so it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's good from the marketing standpoint. And obviously it's great from the mountain standpoint because conditions are killer and, and it really does make for better skiing. And it makes for a prolonged season because that's what people are looking for. Um, so yeah, the natural snow is, is, is absolutely a huge asset. And just looking at your bottom line, really curious about this. When you get two feet of free snow, is there a dollar amount you can put on? Like how much would it cost you to blow two feet of snow border to border on Montage Mountain? And how much is that worth when it just comes out of the sky for free? I can't think of any other business that works like that where you could just get something that would cost you who knows how much money just as a blessing. So uh, um, I, I cannot give you an exact number, but I can tell you that early on, and this might have been the 16 or 17, um, when we had no snow, um, I remember my, and, I, and, and I, I've got the number emblazoned in my mind. The January electric bill was $180,000. Oh my gosh. Wow. And, 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 you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg because, you know, again, to go back to the real estate and the construction analogy, you know, all these snow guns are doing is they're just blowing piles of snow. 
and it's like piles of topsoil or anything else at a construction site, you know, now, now you've got the raw material. Now, what do you do? Right. Now you got to have men and equipment to move it around, to spread it out. So that 180,000 for that month of January is the tip of the iceberg because people had to spread that out and, and push it into, you know, and groom it and all that. So um, what does a, what does a foot of snow uh, uh, benefit us? I mean, I, 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 if I had to take a guess, I'd say it's at least six figures. It's at least six figures. Well, let's hope it keeps coming and, and maybe we have a new weather pattern that'll give us that every year. We had a couple of great marches in a row. So, um, so yep. let's talk about, talk about passes here, Charles, for the past few years, you, you talked about your growing season pass base and you've offered a really terrific deal uh, $299 for the early bird price starting in the spring. And that actually was good uh, in previous years. It was good for the remainder of that season and all of next season. And that price gradually increases as summer goes on as it does at every ski area. And I believe you ended at 699 this fall. Um, that's quite a big difference, but talk about your approach to season passes and why it's important to you to offer that kind of deal for your skiers in the spring. So, um, so two things. One, um, when we first started, offering the season pass and offering the price, you know, we, we did a, we were doing it in July. We were doing a Christmas in July type sale and, and we trained our customers to realize that when we offer a price and it's our initial price, we will not retrade you. On a personal note, I always feel, um, I always feel cheated if I buy something and then two weeks later there's a sale and it's $10 less or $50 less or take your pick. It's just, it, I don't think that's good business. So what we do is when we come out with a sale price, the sale price is the sale price and you will never see that again. So that's the base price. Um, we fully expect to and will this, 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 uh, this winter come out with our pass for next year. Uh, we'll do the same thing that we've done where, you know, you buy the pass, you get the rest of the season uh, plus next. Um, we're, you know, quite honestly, probably like a lot of other folks, we're trying to come to grips with what, what that price needs to be. Um, I think in the end, our season pass holders who are returning will be happy. And I think our new folks will be happy too. But there's a lot of things that are going on this year between, you know, the COVID challenges with additional costs for uh, materials and, and supplies and, and to implement the protocols and all those things, as well as, you know, there's 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 inflation in the offing and and then there's discussions of, of, of minimum wage and all those stuff that, you know, we want to take into consideration because in a lot of respects, we want to be proactive. We, we, we don't want to be sitting, you know, six months down the road or a year down the road or two years down the road, you know, having to play catch up. So you know, our pricing for next year, our season pass for next year, we're, we're trying to take all that stuff into consideration and, and, and to do the right thing. OK, so we've seen a trend recently toward these multi-mountain passes and a couple of Pennsylvania ski areas, Blue Knob and Shawnee, which is quite close to you, have joined the Indy Pass. So skiers who buy that pass get two days at each of those mountains and about 60 other ski areas in the U.S. and Canada for $199. And they added two more mountains today, Waterville Valley in New Hampshire and Saddleback up in Maine. Uh, would you consider a partnership with Indy Pass or have you considered one? So um, we would consider one and we have considered one. Uh, we did reach out to them at the beginning of the season, uh, but, but uh, we understand their business model is they only accept one mountain from, from a region. Um, uh, 
So, so that was, you know, that was the feedback or the, the, the direction we had from them. But uh, if they, uh, if they change that, uh, that policy, we certainly would uh, consider that in the future. Great to hear. I really like that pass. And, uh, and I think montage would be a great fit for it. I do want to talk real quick about $40 all day lift tickets Monday through Friday. That's a great deal. I took advantage of it myself recently to get a day in at montage after that big snow. Uh, talk about that deal and why you offer discounted skiing at those times. So you've got a situation at, 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 that is very unique to ski resorts where um, you've, you've bought all the raw materials, you've staffed every position, and at the end of the day, you're waiting for customers to show up. And, and you know, you know, and, and everybody else who's, who's been involved in skiing for years, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is, is just, they're not popular days. Barring a holiday or something like that, you know, it's the beginning of the week and, and they're just not, they're, they're not popular days. Um, you know, we've always done programs where we've tried to uh, get new skiers. You know, the, one of the first things that I heard, you know, eight years ago was, you know, the biggest challenge in the ski industry is creating new skiers, much like it is in the golf industry. And, and, I, and I always felt from the very start that one of those challenges really is, is one of those barriers to entry for, for folks is, is the price. I mean, when you think about, you know, if you want to get a lesson and you want to get a ski ticket and you want to get a lift ticket and you want to get all that stuff, forget about the fact that you got to buy the appropriate clothes. I mean, you're a couple hundred dollars into it. And, and, and for a family of four to look at, you know, two little kids and say, okay, I'm going to get a couple hundred dollars into it. And I'm going to find out that they hate it. That's just, it's just, it's not acceptable in my mind. So, you know, the $40 pass to me, I think is, is, is reasonable. If you get there before three o'clock, we include rentals. And, and, and really what that is, is, is going back to that concept of creating legacy customers. You know, I, again, I was, you know, you, you asked me what I learned from people in the ski industry. One of the things I learned is if you can get somebody to ski three times at your mountain, they're your customer for life. Well, you know what? I think at $40, if you come on a Monday and you get lift tickets and rentals and you have a good time and you have something, you know, you have a good experience. I, I don't think I need three times. I think one time and you're my customer. And that's why, you know, that's why I like that price. I like the number. I, I like the fact that we include rentals. You know, the alternative is I have a bunch of rentals that are sitting there and nobody's using them. That's not benefiting me. There's, there's a critical capacity there. And, and you know, again, I mean, I, I, I was talking to a, a friend who has a couple of restaurants in Philadelphia and, and he had the same position. It's like, you know what? I want full restaurants. I want full dining rooms. That's what I want because I've already spent all my money to get the operation up and running. The incremental cost of serving one more customer is zero. The incremental cost for me on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday of serving one more customer is zero. So why wouldn't I want to do a $40 ticket? And are those popular since you've instituted that? Have you oh, found a lot of people taking advantage? Huge. I mean, we, we have, uh, so the, the $40 ticket is, is, has picked up somewhat of a cult following. I mean, we have people that'll come every week. They'll they'll gather in the in, in the restaurant. They'll go out and ski. Um, there's groups of college kids. There's groups of just you know, Monday is a, is a big in the business day because that's when most restaurants and 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 most places you know that deal with the public are closed. So you know now we're out there and 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 we have an opportunity for those folks to to get together and 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 to have a good time. So yeah, I mean we 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 have huge success with that. I mean you know we're 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 constantly trying to figure out how to make that experience better. 
Um, but we have we have a great cult following right now on the forty dollar days. Great, love to hear that, and I hope that program sticks around. All right, let's wrap up by talking about your COVID operations. You've had a couple months to digest this, see what's working, what's not. Uh, what's your takeaway, Charles? What's working? What isn't? What do you want to keep or uh, stick around after COVID lifts? So um, August of last year uh, was, uh, you know, last summer was a, was a wake up call for a lot of folks. And, and you know, uh, early on, uh, we knew COVID was a problem. We know what didn't know to what extent. And as the summer uh, went, we started to find out more and more. And I think everybody realized that, you know, we were going to have something that's going to be around for a little while. Um, in August and September, we began planning for that in the wintertime. And, and part of that planning was trying to figure out how we um, um, uh, keep the, gut, the guest experience as high as we have it, uh, while at the same time uh, taking every protocol and, and, and paying attention to every bit of guidance that's out there. Um, early on, we decided that the only way to do that is to take all of our operations and basically turn our operation inside out. Um, we didn't never anticipated that the governor would close restaurant operations and indoor operations fully in December. We figured we might be at limited capacity, but, but, but nevertheless, we figured that we needed to be outside. So, uh, we built this area up at the top of North face, middle of the mound, we call it Midland. We took a couple 40 foot, uh, containers and, and turned them into walk up bars, walk up food, walk up ticket window. Uh, another 20 foot container, turned it into a stage, um, you know, put 20, well, initially we put uh, about 18 tents up there with big fire pits, wood burning fire pits, a couple community fire pits out there. And, um, you know, we just built this, this giant outdoor area that, uh, you know, covered a couple acres. Um, beginning of December rolled around, we got shut down and uh, we find ourselves as the only place that, that, that responded to that challenge and, and figured out how to rise to the occasion. It wasn't but two weeks, we had to double the size of the area. We built two more fire pits. We built, and, 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 you know, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm there five days a week. And I, you know, now we got people who half of them don't even ski. They're, they're <laughs> renting out the place for a 50, a couple was next to me the other day. They rented a tent for a 50th birthday party. And I don't think but 25% of them skied. Wow. Um, but, but to me, that's awesome because now I have people coming to Montage that when I build a hotel, that when, when we do, and, and, and I'm going to have those people who, who, who they don't realize it, but, but they are my new legacy customers. And, and whether they come up and learn how to ski or learn how to snowboard or bring their kids up or whatnot, they, they now have, you know, a vested interest in montage because of that experience they've had. So, you know, I mean, with respect to COVID, I mean, we, we've done all the protocols, you know, we've done the masks and we've done the distancing and we've done the, 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 the sanitary uh, um, stations and all that stuff. But, but Midland has been something that we, uh, I, I don't want to use the word forced to, but we, we were forced to figure out how to survive. And, and I think we rose to the occasion. Um, the other thing we did was we, we took the lodge capacity and, you know, where the restaurant, um, once it was allowed to reopen in January, you had to reopen at 50%. Um, we still had the lodge closed. So we took our capacity in the restaurant and we moved the rest of the tables out into the lodge and basically almost tripled the size, physical size of the restaurant and, 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 and got rid of 
the the aspect of the lodge that was you know people coming in and just you know dropping their stuff and changing their boots and whatnot and in order to supplement that we put tents in the parking lot and boot changing areas and all that other stuff and 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 much to my surprise the experience from a guest standpoint is just so much better i mean i i watch families come into the lodge and sit down and and they're not rushed and they're not crowded and and they're just sitting there having a great time and they're talking and they're enjoying themselves meanwhile you know people have adopted to the uh, um, i don't know, i don't know what you want to call it but 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 they boot up at their car and they they boot up at these little stations we have in the parking lot and and you know they they ski and we have partners on the mountain that 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 you know uh, our restaurants down the mountain harvest is one of them and and they're seeing a, a bigger influx of customers and and i like to believe that's because of everything that we've done up there so those things are here to stay. So you think we'll see the Midlands stick around in future seasons? Because everyone I've talked to loves it. They said, we, we want, we don't, we didn't know we wanted this, but we want it and we want it forever. Midland is here forever. Uh, it's only going to get bigger. Um, we're trying to figure out how we incorporate it. You know, if we're allowed to open up for festivals this summer, trying to figure out how we uh, incorporate it into festivals and, and, and pretty much everything else we do. Um, it's turned out to be just an awesome experience. And um, I, I think that, you know, I've got a creative enough group of folks that they're only going to figure out how to make it better. Well, I'm so glad to hear all that, Charles. Glad to hear the montage is evolving uh, and adapting to COVID. Uh, I love the, what you're doing with the mountain. I love the direction you're taking it in. You're making me think that more people who don't ski should buy ski areas and kind of come in with a fresh perspective and, uh, and, and reinvigorate in a different way. So, Thank you very much for your time today. I wish you the very best, and I can't wait to get up there and ski again. Stuart, thank you very much. Uh, March 6th is our Mountain Fest. We're going to do fireworks up there. Uh, I'd love to invite you and anybody else who wants to come up because it's going to be a heck of an experience. We did it on President's Day. We did it in a socially distanced uh, fashion where we moved it out to the Bunny Hill. So I, I have uh, I have employees that live in Taylor, which is probably about uh, five miles away, that are sending me videos of, of how the fireworks look. So you can see them from everywhere. You can see them from anywhere on the mountain. You don't have to be standing in a crowd, and, and it's just going to be an awesome time. So, you know, anybody's there, I'd love to see them come out for that event, yourself included. Sounds incredible. Thanks so much for that, Charles. That's Charles Jefferson, managing owner of Montage Mountain, Pennsylvania. That was awesome. If anyone asks me, I always tell them, the best interviews are people who don't have bosses. And that's Exhibit A. Guy just comes in there, buys the mountain without knowing anything about skiing. He makes it work. You have to love that. Plus, he's a class act with an inspiring backstory and a long history of investing in Scranton. Pennsylvania skiers, montage skiers. I would be very curious to hear what you thought about that and how you're feeling about the future of that ski area. Hit me up with those thoughts on any platform you choose. So thank you very much for that interview, Charles, and thank you all for listening. Now is a good time to head over to stormskiing.com to subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter. I've got some stuff dropping on the newsletter in the next week that you are really going to want to read the second it's live. You can also follow the storm on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.